This episode of Landmine Radio is sponsored by Dittman Research. Do you know what the most valuable thing in the world is? High-quality information. Because high-quality information informs much better decision-making. Dittman Research has been providing high-quality information to Alaska's leading businesses, organizations, and campaigns for 50 years. Do you really know what Alaskans think about your company or your issue? How about your clients, your shareholders, or your employees? So stop fumbling around in the dark. Hire Dittman Research and find out what's really going on. DittmanResearch.com Okay, back here with uh, former Senator Kathy Giesel. How you doing? Good, good. This is the first podcast as a, as a civilian, non-legislator. Yes, yes, a commoner. Yeah, well, it's a pretty <laughs> it's a pretty day here in Anchorage. Yes, it's it's great. It finally stopped snowing, or excuse me, raining. It's, it's <laughs> snowing like a, as well. It's a big it's a big mesh. It's uh, yes, it summer's is. been a little bit. It's not been great. You know, it's been a little kind of chilly. Yes, yes. Maybe that's what I was thinking. Snow. I. I <laughs> You ever, you ever do that where it's like, oh, it's already mid-July, and you're thinking like, wait a minute, it's going to be September kind of pretty soon? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then here, here comes the snow again. Yeah. So we were just both watching. I was there for part of it, and then I came over here, and I was watching this new fiscal uh, comprehensive working group. Yes. And uh, you were watching that too, I imagine, yeah? Yep. Um, I, I, had to, I couldn't help but wonder. I actually tweeted this out. I said, if you miss that, you can just watch it by watching any – former budget presentation before the finance committee going back years. Yes, pretty much, except only back a couple years to hear the excellent presentation from Alexi Painter, the new director. Right. He's, he, he replaced, um, well, he replaced um, Pat Pitney. That's uh, true. Pat was, was there, there for about six months or so. For a little bit. Then she went to yeah. the university. Correct. Yeah, so, that's so true. David Teal was uh, there for a long time. Yes. I think they call him the real deal Teal. Right? Is that, you heard that? I've heard that, but I'll just say Alexi does a great job explaining things mm-hmm. in very easy to understand terms. A little he, younger. Younger, articulate, knowledgeable, uh, knows the, the fiscal history. It's great. I, um, I did a podcast with David Thiel a couple of years ago in Juneau, and, and it was a really good podcast after the first few minutes because I remember saying, commenting on his like big monitor and his Excel spreadsheets, and I said, you must be really good at Excel. And he goes, yep. And I said, uh, oh, here we go. This is going to be, once he kind of opened up, it was, and his daughter oh. works in the legislature, Tally. Oh. oh, okay. Yeah, so she's she's been around too. Um, so you're watching this presentation. It's it's basically nothing new. I mean, there's nothing new being presented. No, it's not new. But the positive is new people are listening to it. Mm-hmm. See, you and I watch this. The public can watch these hearings. They could have listened for the last few years, and so could other legislators. But unless they're on a committee, uh, legislators don't watch other committees. I don't understand why. Well, and you, when you were a legislator, um, I think one of the things people noted about you, and I saw this when I was in Juneau, you went to like a lot of committee meetings, especially the finance committee meetings, committees you weren't part of, but you came and, and watched, which yeah. is surprising because some, some do that. But for the most part, most people don't, most legislators don't go to the meetings they're a part of. Yeah. And it's not uh, forbidden. And it doesn't uh, break some kind of protocol to show up at somebody else's committee. But, you know, working in the legislature, it's every topic under the sun. And it's like, uh, it's like going to graduate school and, and working on multiple degrees simultaneously. 
So to me, being present in the room and hearing the actual discussion is critical to understanding mm-hmm. the real issues. You have to know a little bit about a lot, right? Oh, yeah. And, and so much good information is presented in committee meetings. Today, there was a few legislators, newer legislators, that were not part of the committee that were in the room. Yes, I heard them I saw, recognized. I saw Representative McKay, Representative Kaufman. Um, I think somebody else might have been there. But, yeah, there was a few that weren't part of the group that were watching. Yes, and I'm, I'm pleased that they took the initiative to go. So you probably saw, I did an article a couple of days ago. There was a Dittman research poll the House majority paid for, and uh, I did an article and I got a hold of it. And did you see that? Yes, I did. So, so one of the takeaways for me was the fact that like half of the people that responded, which is 400, which is a good number for, you know, it's a pollsters kind of, that's the minimum they want to use, I think 400. Uh, half of the people weren't aware of this percent of market value deal, the, you know, the 5% for the permanent fund, which got passed in 2018. And then 65% of people, um, respondents, didn't know where the bulk of our money comes from, which doesn't surprise me because I talk to people every day mm-hmm. who are just not like in this little world and they don't follow this stuff, so they don't know. But it kind of frustrates me that these are the folks who vote and sometimes I feel like don't have the full picture of what's going on. Yeah. When I saw that result, well, I guess I, I was surprised and yet at the same time, not surprised. I've been putting that information in my newsletters for the last four years. As we worked through that percent of market value, I mean, that was something that I just put in my newsletters all the time. But my newsletters go to a very small population. I mean, about 4,500 people. And even who the ones who get it, how many actually read it? Well, there's that. And retain the information. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a lot of information, and it's detailed. And people are busy getting to work, wanting to go fishing, uh, the kids sick. I mean, there's just a lot of things coming at us with all these media that we have, right? And so, I mean, I kind of get it, um, but it's it's, ah, frustrating. (laughs) I don't know how to communicate better. See, I used to – I've actually had this conversation many times about the philosophy of of being – elected in like a representative form of government. And I always go back to the Nelson Mandela's book. He said that sometimes like when you get elected, when you're a leader, sometimes the people who elect you are wrong. In his case, he talked about after apartheid, there was a, a push for civil war and score settling and kind of killing the white people, which you probably can't blame some of those sentiments. But he said, that's wrong. That's not going to move the country forward. We have to not do that. And, and he said, sometimes when the public is wrong or the people are wrong, you have to, exp- a leader is supposed to explain to them and make decisions. Now, some people think, oh, you just have to do whatever your constituents want, which, you know, that if that was the case, we could just all vote on everything, and that would be a mess because what's the democracy when true democracy is four wolves and a sheep voting on what's for dinner? So you're bringing up a really important subject, Jeff, that uh, I've been talking about in my newsletter for the past couple weeks, um, but I've been thinking about for about the last year. Um. The, the present governor has um, demonstrated through the constitutional amendments that he's offered that he would prefer to go to a direct democracy. Right, the people voting on new, new revenues. Yes. Taxes. And, and that would mean eliminating or certainly um, uh, handicapping significantly, uh, in fact, making insignificant the legislature. You've also seen him go after the judicial branch. Right, now, yeah. 
Our Constitution, I'm talking U.S. Constitution right now, is the foundation for our state's Constitution. And our founders recognized the balance of power and that no single person nor single branch of government should have complete control. There needs to be a balance. And um, they talked, you know, they used to talk about, too, um, the fact that, as you pointed out, the, the four wolves decide, and, and one lamb trying to figure out what's for dinner, right? Voting. <laughs> yeah. And, and one of the things Madison recognized was the, the emotions and passions that can sweep through a population. Mm-hmm. Um, you just mentioned Mandela, pointing out sometimes the voters are, air quotes, wrong. Well, it's not necessarily that I agree that they're wrong, they just don't have the full picture. And if they had the full picture, they would come to a rational yeah, decision. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I, what I meant is, is it's the, the leader's job to explain things and then say, here's why this is not a good idea. And then I think yeah, when people um, do get the full picture, I think generally people make the right, the public makes the right decision. Yes. But sometimes you don't get the full picture or you get people who just uh, say things that are very populist. Yes. That make it sound great until uh, I'm just reminded of you know the Bronson yesterday. If you saw his whole push for the 15 million dollar homelessness, he ran on homelessness in his campaign, and and yesterday the assembly kind of said no for now. Yes, I so saw that. You get elected, and you have these great campaign slogans, and then you have to actually go and I'm reminded of Dunleavy with the the seven thousand dollar dividend, you know, the big PFD and the payback of the PFD. That sounds good, but then you have to go. And convince other people. So, so that's where the dilemma comes in for a lot of new folks elected to the legislature and maybe to the assembly too. I've never been on the assembly, but certainly you went the straight legislature. to the Senate. I did. Um, so, coming into the Senate, uh, uh, you know, maybe I had some great idea, but I've got to convince at least 10 other people. Because out of those 20 people, I need 11 votes mm-hmm. to pass that idea. And so, New legislators come into office and they believe that I'm going to show them the right thing. We're going to get this done. Well, no, actually, other people have ideas, too, and they're just as valid as yours. And so that's where collaboration and um, communication with everyone, that means both sides of the aisle, um, comes in. So you were in the minority for a while in the Senate. I was in the minority the first two years. You were in that really small minority, right? Well, it was a bipartisan coalition at the time. Uh, Gary Stevens was the president. And um, yeah, four of us Republicans. Um, so that was um, uh, Colonel Huggins. Uh, yeah, uh, Colonel Huggins. What was his first? Char- Charlie. Charlie, Huggins. thank you. Charlie Huggins, John um, John Coghill. Con Bundy, right? Was he in there? No, Con Bundy. I replaced Con Bundy. Oh, and yeah. my friend from Eagle River is... Uh, McKinnon. Fred. No, no, Fred Dyson. Dyson. Right. We're going back a long time here. I know. And so it was the four of us. And so we weren't even a legitimate minority. Because you need five. Yeah, to have like to rec- have five. That's right. And so, yeah. We they, they still gave you committee. They gave right? us committees. Yeah. Committees that nobody else wanted, which was fine with me. So what's it like going from in the Senate and the minority, a, a tiny minority, and, and I've noted this before, but you had to run every two years for six years when the Senate Senate seat should be four years because 
of redistricting and they probably, I, I bet it was something about you specifically, I imagine. Somebody didn't like you or... No, it was the courts and I'm pretty sure the courts didn't know me. Um, but the redistricting board, uh, just as now, uh, the, the decennial census took place in 2010 and then a redistricting board started operating and they redistricted drew new maps in 2011, which then required in 2012 uh, a lot of us to run so, again. So, so, you're, so I went back and checked. Mm -hmm. um, if the district, if a Senate district changes by more than 30%, if it, I'm sorry, if it, if it retains um, less than 30%, I guess, then the... If, I don't know that it's actually written down, Jeff. I'd be interested to see where you might have seen a number, but it says if there's a substantial change. So it's kind of an arbitrary. Maybe that's what percent. I heard, but I think it seems like if it's if, if it retains at least seventy percent, I guess. So I checked in twenty twelve. There's automatically ten seats up. There's half the yes, seats are four years. Automatically seats. in the Senate. So there was seventeen of twenty up, right? In two thousand two, the last time before twenty twelve, there was nineteen. Yeah. So the question is, how many are going to be up, you know, next year? That'll be interesting. Based on how, based on how things change. That'll be interesting. We have a really good redistricting board in place. You appointed, uh, um, <laughs> don't, don't tell me, John Binkley, right? Yes, yes. And, and I'm not taking credit for the rest of the board either, but the rest of them are really good also. It's a great geographic distribution. Um uh, the woman from Fairbanks uh, works with AFN. Uh, then there's Alaska Native woman from Nome. Then we mm -hmm. have um, uh, Bud Simpson from from Juno. Yeah. That's a great. I mean, to get Southeast in there, and then Bethany Markham from uh, here in Anchorage, and a John Binkley who I appointed is the chair. Your, your guy became Fairbanks. chair. Yeah. I, I pointed out. I think in our last podcast we did in Juno a year or two ago that it was kind of ironic that you had all this redistricting mess running every two years for six years, and then you get to appoint somebody to the... Because you get one, the Senate president, the speaker got one, the governor got two, and then the chief justice got one. Correct. Five so members. Five. Yes. You know, my criteria is I um, talked... I had probably 20 people on a list that I could appoint. Was I on the I list? Was, eh, sorry, Jeff. I tweeted out that, hey, ah. will somebody please appoint me to that thing? <laughs> I'll be quiet for a couple years. But, but, but a critical point was... Um, are, you know, the critically important thing to me is, are you focused on a fair map? And, um, and uh, John certainly said that. So did Bud Simpson. He was someone else that I was considering appointing, um, but I can only appoint one. Um, but Bud also said he's very interested in a legally defensible map uh, that's fair. And um, I told John, and of course at that time I didn't know uh, whether I would be still in the Senate or not, but I said, under no circumstances would you th think about preserving my seat. Mm -hmm. I just want a fair map. They're actually so, um, they're down there right now in Salt Lake City. I don't know if you heard there's a yes. national redistricting conference. Uh, That's so. a really good conference. Um, in fact, that conference is offered about four times uh, prior to to redistricting for all the states and all the states can go it's completely nonpartisan but you learn how to do the mapping stuff and what the what the laws are actually related it's, to one vote one person one vote it's interesting how 50 states i mean some have the commissions like we do mm -hmm. some the legislature legislature does it yes so it's like that's, oh, imagine can you that. imagine oh my goodness I, mean, <laughs> there, there, I always think about the, the kawasaki deal in fairbanks when they yeah. actually picked his sister's house sonia thinking yes. that was him, and they drew that weird line. Yes. And then, you know, they had the one where it went to Amonic. Yes. They, from Fairbanks. And, you know, you have to have, it's like geographical, economic, um, 
what is it? There's different. There's economic, geographic. And there's another one, uh, socio, like socioeconomic, like, you know. Yeah, socioeconomic, yeah. Similarities, similar groups, so yeah. Put, put in Fairbanks with a monic. Yeah, then, yeah. I remember a um, long time ago, Randy Redrick, the former chair of the Republican Party, he made this, like, joke that he's like, let's just put Esther in, like, this over here, because Esther, he called, like, the most liberal precinct in Alaska, and they he wanted to, like, stick it, you know, yeah. somewhere else with yeah. some other kind of dem- democratic area. It's crazy how, how much human... Um, element there is even though they use software and computers you can you can manipulate things yes and you see these this happens in texas and big cities or big where it's like starts in the city and then it goes out rule yes you know instead of keeping people it's really interesting how these can be you know gerrymandering goes back to the early days of the country but that's how it gets into the court system mm-hmm. and that's what happened in 2012 so yep. they drew new maps i had a new district when include which included the top half of the kenai peninsula with the hillside of anchorage yeah you, so, used, to, you used to have kenai and then you went to eagle river at some point didn't you i had eagle river to begin with that li- uh, linked to the hillside plus whittier and then the second round i had seward all the way across to nikiski that whole top half with the hillside and then because the court stepped in and said these are not appropriate maps, it was again redistricted. So in 14, we had mm-hmm. yet new districts. So you probably recall I ran in 2012, too. I was a little different. I was a little bit different politically, and I ran against Lisa McGuire. Yes. And I remember being very frustrated because it was already, like, almost June, and I still didn't, we still didn't know what the districts were. And, yeah. and um, I got moved a lot because I used to have Kevin Meyer as my senator oh. before 2012. Wow, yeah. And then they got moved. Gotcha. So I was kind of like, well, what who who do I talk yeah. to? And then they did the you know the the temporary map and they redid it. And that kind of reminds makes me think of this next year because of the covid and and the delay in the census. We're not going to have maps until draft maps until probably fall end of fall. Actually, the deadline for them if the data gets to them when it's being forecast in September, they will have to have maps ready to go after all the public hearings and whatnot by December 31st. Yeah. And then and there's then all there's, the comments, right? Then, yeah, and, and then it could go to court. See? So, yeah, it'll it's it'll be tight, but, you know, we'll survive. So, so, so the, the big question is if things change enough, if, if, um, if your seat's up next time, because I know you've been doing the newsletter, which I want to talk about. I've seen your newsletter, and uh, you need to add me to it if you can, because people forward it to me. I mean, I do a newsletter, yeah. uh, Alaska Political Report, which is like a paid subscription thing, and that takes a lot of time. I look at yours, and you're you're really analyzing, it's a little different than mine, but you're analyzing the meetings, the hearings, you're putting really, I mean, this must take you a long time. This is a lot of work. Are you doing it to inform people? Are you, do you want to stay informed yourself? Is it like, what's the impetus? And then, and then, um, um, How's it been? How's it been doing that compared from you know being a legislator? So the reason that um, I decided to go ahead and keep doing it is because people enjoyed it. Number one, and I was going to be following these details anyway. I get a truckload of information. I get lots of newsletters from organizations and whatnot, and information that my constituents always enjoyed. So I thought, wow. I might as well just continue this, though I have to do it myself, right? I used to have staff who are really good at computers and graphics, and so I'm plugging along myself. But yeah, it, it you know, it comes out once a week typically. It's it's a little bit longer space now because not that much is happening. But um, yeah, it takes uh, many many hours to put it together. It's really good information. I, I think it's. Uh, I've had several people comment to me about it. They said, mm-hmm. oh, "This is great." I, 
you know, you almost make me look bad a little bit because <laughs> yours is free, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. We do. We do, we, we we kind of focus on the budget on ours. We kind of dive into the budget and yeah. the lobbyist stuff, and we do the uh, mm-hmm. public notices and the, we do the calendars, the the commissioners and the governor's calendar. Oh, I see. People really like that. Oh, yeah. You can see who they met with and oh, that'd be check, interesting. Check yeah. The correspondence. Yeah. Um, so I guess the big question is if if the seats up next time. Now that we have this whole different. And I want to talk to you about the new voting system. Um, are you thinking of running again? Are you going to put your hat in the ring, or yeah. we'll see? Not a not a no. Not a no, not a yes. We'll see. Um, so this new, you had the, you know, obviously the primary um, situation that a lot of people had last time. I wanted to ask you about that. I mean, that was a very, kind of, primaries are lower turnout, and, and you got attacked really hard from, from, from the right. Um, and in this new system, you know, it's the single primary and the ranked choice. So I guess, based on your experience, I wanted to ask you about, about that last time and then what you think about this new voting system going forward for, for the state? You know, um, our politics have gotten pretty, um, pretty hostile. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I did an interview with the BBC, which sounds weird, but apparently they have a U.S. version of the BBC too. But anyway, on this very subject, you know, um, the hostility in American politics these days and, and how polarized we've become Um, so we heard from, we, uh, there was a hearing, uh, and I can't remember if it was one of the legislative committees or who sponsored this hearing. It could have been Commonwealth North, actually, now that I think about it, where, um, the former secretary of state from the state of Maine and one of Maine's representatives spoke to Commonwealth North and they had oh, yeah, that was our, a, few, a few months ago. Yeah. Yeah. They had our director of elections on and also our Lieutenant governor from our state. Right. And so Maine was pointing out, especially the representative was saying, you know, it totally changed the demeanor of our elections. The, the hostility has really ramped down and people are actually talking, candidates are uh, talking with each other, finding uh, common ground. It's, it's getting to be a worn out phrase, common ground, but, but it's an important phrase. Well, because, because the, in, the incentive on, on, the, like on the kind of macro level is to not really go after people and alienate people because you, you actually do want people to make you the second choice. And I always go back and tell people it's a little different, but this is how Abraham Lincoln got the nomination. There was Lincoln, uh, Salmon Chase, Edward Bates, and uh, William Seward. And it was Republican, first Republican Party convention, and it was supposed to be Seward. Have you read Team of Rivals? Have yes, you? I've read so Team of Rivals. it was supposed to be Seward. Yep, yep. Everybody thought it was going to be Seward. Lincoln and his team and operative convinced a lot of the delegates to say, okay, if it's not Lincoln on your first time, that's fine. Please promise on the second when the when – the, if the if nobody gets chosen on the first round, um, make him the second pick. Yes. And they also got it to be in Chicago, which helped Lincoln. But that w- that was the situation where Lincoln, you know, he was never going to win the first round, but he got it by getting the majority of the delegates to make him the second choice. Yes, but you know, there's there's even more fundamental reason behind um, more collaborative elections. The fact of the matter is, the work gets done in the middle. It's not done when people are locked in, polarized at opposite ends. It's when people come together and can work in the middle that progress can actually be made. So that's 
why collaboration is so important and we've got to ramp down all this animosity. We've got to ramp down the demands for my way or the highway because it just doesn't well, work. So, so early, when you first got elected, uh, you were always known as one of the very conservative, maybe one of the most conservative members, um, always known as hardworking. You were always at the meetings. I'd always see you around. And then you became Senate president. And I think one of the big attacks was, oh, she's working with Tom Begich, or, oh, she, she's not, you know, she's a rhino. Um, maybe talk about the kind of transformation of 10 years and seeing how, how things really work. You mentioned earlier you need 11 in the Senate. Uh, I wanted to ask you about that. Well, and people were also upset that I worked with Speaker Edgman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those two men and I have a lot in common. We're both, all three of us are lifelong Alaskans. Now, obviously, Bryce Edgman, as Alaska native, has much longer family history. And, and, and Tom Begich, his family, of course, is renowned in the state. I'm much more just a regular person. But, but we all come from that long-term view and have the long-term forward view. And so we found so much that we agreed upon. But yeah, you're right. When I came to the legislature, I was known as very conservative. But I will tell you that even my first year, uh, there was a bill that um, Governor Parnell actually had to veto because of an amendment that was put on it by one of the majority members, one of the majority Republicans, a powerful majority Republican. And I knew that what he had added to the bill had to be taken out because when the bill came around again, it was offered a second time. It, that piece, he put it back in. So I actually went to Betty Davis and said, Betty, you and I share this same concern, and this is what I want to do with this bill. I want to oh. take this piece out. And she looked at me, and she said, I will support you. So I was kind of shocked, and I went back to my office. I was there on the ground floor in one of those tiny offices, you know, and I, I was sitting in my office going, wow, wow, okay, there's one. And Betty came to my office, which was also shocking, and she came in and she said, would you be willing to put my name on your amendment? And I about fell out of my chair. I mean, with her name on my amendment, whoa. So that prompted me to go around to the rest of the Democrats. This was a bipartisan coalition, remember, and they were in the majority. Mm-hmm. And I had some of them say, oh, honey, no, no, no. And others, you know, said, well, I'll think about it. Well, when it came down to the vote and, and I offered my amendment, not only did Betty stand up, but Donnie Olson stood up. And you know how impassioned Donnie can be. Oh, yes. And he supported my amendment and it passed. And everyone was so shocked. In fact, um, uh, Hollis French and uh, Bill Wilikowski sat in front of me on the floor. I was in the very back row. And they both turned around and looked at me. Their eyes were wide. And Bill looked and just said, congratulations. <laughs> I mean, they were just shocked. Did that you know what... you were going to, did you have the votes going I into didn't, it? Or? I didn't know if I had the votes. So the, the, as I said, the presiding officer was Gary Stevens. And Gary didn't even recognize that my amendment had passed. He started to go on as if it hadn't. And I actually had to stand up and say, point of order, Mr. President, which as a freshman in the back row, that was really scary Cause, too. Because for, you know, for folks like you and I that watch us all the time, it's, you kind of not, you know, know how things work. But for the pub, for the people listening, maybe it's very, um, lately it's been kind of more common actually, but typically it's very rare for, um, a minority amendment to get passed by the majority. I mean, Especially, it's, it's yes. happened sometimes on certain things, but it's it's not very because normally there's you know kind of the idea that you support the majority. Yes, um, and and all of this is all lined up before a bill comes yeah. out, right? Um, so so I say all of that to point out that even mm-hmm. as a freshman, as a new person, 
um, I learned, I learned the importance of collaboration. Many of my health care bills throughout those 10 years only passed because I went to House members, Democrats, who were willing to support my bill or even carry a similar, the same bill on the House side. And I would allow that House bill to come over and actually become law. So, so, so you know, knowing you pretty well for a long time, I would say I don't think you're, in 10 years your politics changed much or your philosophy changed. I would probably didn't, didn't change much at all, maybe a little bit, but, but the, at some point the perception to the public changed and it, you know, it's, it's the machine of the radio talk radio and, you know, Suzanne down. I mean, it's a daily kind of, it was a daily att- And I was surprised at some, some of the stuff they were, I mean, it was just, it was a barrage, you know, for, for, for two years. Yes. Um, a lot of lies, but the craziest one was, I don't even want to bring it up, but that stupid thing about that interview, you you know, they were trying yeah. to make up some crazy thing about some interview, some crazy thing you said way, way 20 years ago or something or 15 years ago. It was totally just nonsense. An assertion from a woman that, that embezzled money from the state. Yes. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah, that's accurate. But, but you know, you, you, it is important to hold strongly core values, which I do. But at the end of the day, you have to be willing to negotiate your preferences on how those core values get executed and understand that it won't be completely your way. Doesn't mean that you've modified your core values. It's just you understand there has to be incremental steps. There seems to be, as of lately, even a lot of people, you talked about earlier, my way or the highway, and and even beyond that, some people who look at the other side as, as the enemy. Yes. Not, not, not the, you know, there used to be the loyal opposition. We're all on the same team yes. attitude. But I mean, I'm, I've been there in the Capitol for three years, so not very long, but enough to see even as of this last year compared to two years ago, how people will pass each other in the hallways and will not even acknowledge each other. Yes. Or, or look away. And, and I don't think that was five or 10 years ago. Maybe that was there a little bit, but did you notice that? Is that, did that, did that kind of get... Worse? It, it has gotten worse. But at the same time, I think that if you were to ask Tom Begich, he would tell you that three years ago, he wouldn't have wanted to talk to me either. So it, it has to happen on both sides that um, people have to be willing to uh, say, I'm going to take a risk and I'm going to talk to this person that I think I totally disagree with. The risk is, oh, no, what if I find out we actually agree on something and that I was wrong? They're not evil. Hmm, mm-hmm. This is a risk. <laughs> you got to be willing well, to take start, that risk. That, that's the, the good. That's, I guess, the risk. But also the, the good thing. Yes. Is, and may, maybe the vulnerable thing is when you start to humanize people, it's, it's a lot harder to say horrible things about them. Yes. And I mean, this has been done for millennium, you know, in wars and um, conflicts. You, you just you make, make sure those people aren't they aren't people. They're just the other, the enemy. Yes. And, and that's a lot of the theory behind why things have gotten so hostile. You know, I remember um, the first few campaigns, you know, I'd be out waving by the side of the road and, you know, you'd get these horrible responses, right? And I asked Lauren Lehman once, I said, I just, I don't understand why people do this. And he said, it's because they don't think of you as a human being. Right. That's exactly right. And that really uh, helped me. But that's really what happened, I think, um, with with a lot of the, with my experience, 
learning that even though they may be Democrats, I'm a Republican, they're actually human beings, and, and we probably have a lot in common. We're all Alaskans, and we want the best. Do you, do you think, uh, going back um, after you became Senate president, was there anything you would have changed or done differently um, that would have maybe affected the outcome, or do you think it was just because it was such a barrage of, of attacks on you, uh, and it was a Republican primary, which, which is a very you know, difficult um, kind of voter turnout. It's, it's, it's motivated people, and it's a small group of them. Yes, and, and it's, it's on this topic of, of a government check, um, a permanent fund dividend. And, um, you know, I would have had to agree to a very large check to, to assuage the anger of the people attacking me. Um, some of them I don't even understand why they dislike me so much. <laughs> I, I don't even understand. But I know for many it's the size of the PFD. Um, I wanted to go back to Tom Begich. Now, I kind of remember this, but something happened early on, and I think it was about APOC. There was a member, or there was something that happened where I remember Tom told me, Begich, that you did something and you kept your word yes. on some... some some, some, something with APOC, right? Somebody on APOC or didn't Yeah, that... so that was an appointment that the governor made to APOC, and it was in um, the 2019 session, the first uh, round. And APOC's membership, I believe it's five commissioners, mm-hmm. and it's made up of people from the parties who ran gubernatorial candidates in the last gubernatorial election. And the Democrats had not had anyone... Yeah, this is what happened, and, and same thing with Walker. It was kind of the unintended, nobody, nobody thought about it, and then all of a sudden, the other one was libertarians, and this is, they had to put a libertarian on APOC, and everybody was like, oh my God. So there was a libertarian there, and the governor wanted, the governor did not, how did that work? He, want, he didn't want to appoint a Democrat. I'm trying to, yes, he had a reappointed the libertarian, I believe it was, and I said, that's not fair. We had a Democrat run for governor. There needs to be a Democrat yeah. filling that seat. You know, Tom had pointed this out to me, and I said, you're right. Fair is fair. APOC is, is there to help keep things on the up and up, and we need to follow the rules. Because in 14, there was no Democrat. Correct. But in 18, there was a Democrat. So... So when uh, we were in joint session, and in joint session, it's an oral vote. And uh, the Senate uh, had their oral vote, and the Senate president is always last. And so as it went around, it looked like the Libertarian was going to get reappointed or something. That was how it was going to go. No. Well, anyway, it was going to turn out that the Libertarian was staying on the board. And when it came to me, I said, no, the Democrat needs to be there. All I know is Tom Begich told me that that was a time that— yeah. He realized, you, you know, you, you talked to him and you kind of kept your word. Because it's like, it's pretty crazy to me how many people in that building. And I've just, like I said, three years, people will say something to you, to somebody, and they will do the opposite. And then they will, they'll kind of just say, oh, well, sorry. And it happens a lot. It's hard to really find people that just, you know, I think you have your word and, you know, you have your, that's all you really have in life. Yes. And it's, sometimes in that building, it's not, it's like you, or you promise two people the same thing. Diff- yes. The different things on the same topic. On the same topic, yes. You'll see people talk out of both sides of their mouth. So that gets known pretty frequently or pretty soon. And um, 
and then there's a lack of trust. You did some other things that the legislative budget and audit and legislative council, you allowed the minority because because the rule is, and this is like very in the weeds, but these joint committees, the rule is it's got to be one member of each party. Uh, so you, you let um, the Democrats choose the, their person um, on there. And this last time, I noticed this kind of started off a little bit weird. Senate President, Senate President Machiki, um appointed Lyman Hoffman to both committees. Yeah, He's a Democrat, technically, but he's part of the majority. And the, the minority was really not happy about that. And it seemed to me like a really petty thing to – because no matter who you put on there, you're not going to change the outcome because the majority has the, the, the numbers. Yes. But, but when you did that, I think a lot of – Tom Begich included – noticed that as a, a courtesy or a favor. Well, another interesting thing is my leadership team, of course, I had Bert Stedman as one of the co-chairs of finance, and Bert uh, is very knowledgeable about finance. It's obvious he would be a good person, but he followed my lead in um, in that, in that he allowed the Democrat members of finance committee, the minority members, to be chairs of finance subcommittees. Right, that yeah. had never been done before. I think Bill Wilikowski, when that happened, he, I talked to him about it, and he was, he was so confused. He was like, is this a trick? Yes. You know, he's like, I don't understand this. Yes. Um, and, you know, for the folks that don't pay attention and, and even the folks that do pay attention, so much happens in these subcommittees. Yes. And, and they're probably the least attended meetings. Oh, yes. I've been <laughs> even by a, committee members. I've been to a few and no, I'm the only one in the room besides yes. the committee people and whoever's testifying. Or, yeah. And there's, there's 18 of these things, you know, every department and the university and the. And they get into the weeds. So, yeah, a lot of people, it's, it's, it's very technical. So, so I also wanted to ask you, um, you were Senate president for two years. You came in in the minority and you became Senate president. How did that go? I know, I know you get after the election, there's meetings and organization. Um, were, you, were you going for it or did you kind of look around and see the, you know, some people want to be on the finance committee. Some people want to be the rules chair. Some people want to, you know, be somewhere else. Was it kind of worked out or did you, did you talk to everybody and it kind of just, happened organically or was it were you trying to convince people or how, how did it how did it go well pull the veil back a little bit okay so i don't know how other senate presidents have ever done this i i'd never been in leadership before but i just looked at the folks that um were in the majority you know obviously republicans that wanted to be there and and at that time i didn't know if lyman wanted to be part of the majority as he always had been but um just looking at skill sets is how I approach these things. You know, who has the skills as finance co-chairs? Um, you know, Natasha certainly did, uh, but then so did Click Bishop, right? And um, Bert, obviously. Um, so um, in terms of majority leader, um, at that time, the, uh, the Eagle River, I'll call it the Eagle River delegation, were, um, uh, they were contemplating whether they wanted to be part of the majority or not. Okay, let's just put it that way. And, and my goal was inclusion. And so I talked, I, I talked at length with each one of those five members. Uh, and, and by five, I include Laura Reinbold and Mia Costello. Talked at length with them. And uh, they... Uh, Altogether wanted Mia to be majority leader, so that's fine. I can work with Mia. Um, so that was kind of how it how it, that 
those pieces mm-hmm. went, the leadership team. Um, so, yeah. When it, when, when, it, when it actually happened, when you, the, the agreement got made or when the vote happened, were you, how'd that feel? Like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm Senate president. There's only 50 of them. Well, actually there's 49 because Nebraska has a single unicameral thing. It's kind of a weird. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting. I ran into some Senate presidents that had been in the role for 20 years. Wow. Yeah. Alaska kind of has a tradition of every year handing it, every two years handing it off to another person. Gary Stevens is the only one that served twice. I was going to say, yeah, he did He did two terms. He did two, yes. Even in the House, you know, no, nobody, Chenault was kind of the exception, Mike Chenault for eight years. Mm-hmm. Before that, it was um, pretty much always four years. Yeah. Or, or less. Or less. For speaker. Yeah, and I think Bryce Edgman was for four years. He was four years, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a huge amount of work and knowledge that is required for the role. And so that is challenging to make a new, to, to turn it over every two years. So John Harris, former speaker, told me, and he was a little bit joking, but he said being speakers, and it's more people, it's double the Senate, but it's kind of like being, it's glorified babysitter because you're having to like manage all kinds of things. Is that how being Senate president was? You're having, I mean, personalities and different different ideas. Is that kind of what? Yes. I, I, you know, I had a lot of legislation that I wanted to carry, but there simply wasn't time. Because as you point out, there's a lot of personalities to manage and um, conflicts come up that have to be uh, calmed down. And then, of course, as we get near the end of session, of course, there's all the budget stuff and trying to negotiate with the governor. How, how tough did it get after, I guess, probably the Wasilla special session was the maybe the breaking point of how kind of crazy. I was in Wasilla. I, got, mm. I, I actually rented this camper RV. I thought it was going to be like a tailgating. It was not that. I should never have rented that. It was actually really horrible driving out there in that thing. But it was kind of weird being there. It was a very, you remember it got stormed? Yeah. I, I didn't go that day. I thought, oh, nothing's going to happen. It's like the one day I didn't go. Yes. It got crazy. As a news guy, you missed it. I missed it. <laughs> I mean, that was the day you're, you should have been there. That was If I was going to go one day, I should have gone that day. Yeah. Um, but then after that, I think, was, was that fair to say that kind of started the schism in the majority because there was a whole issue about the dividend and there was it's same now same thing now actually it's split um is that kind of what what happened i guess you could characterize it that way yeah i guess that was when um when a portion of the senate and certainly the house of course uh stomped their feet and said we're planted here and this it was about a third, want. I think, of the legislature, right? Yeah, it was about a third. Yeah, and so my majority leader um, refused to come to Juno, and so I had no choice but to substitute a new person. Were, were you? Um, I think me and a lot of folks watching it in 2020, uh, maybe the COVID had you know some get get out of there real quick, but but did it ever come close to? It? A lot of us thought it was going to break apart there was going to be a reorganization with maybe the Democrats. So did, did that ever get close or did that was just more people talking about who were observing? Well, uh, probably the observers probably got to that conclusion um, quicker than we did. My goal was to keep the Republicans together. Uh, and yes, it was very difficult, just like a family uh, coming together and everybody having different ideas. It, it can be pretty hard but the goal was to stick together. 
The uh, last thing I want to ask is the COVID. Um, you know, it got, I think it was 68 days to do the budget. Oh, or yes, yes, yes. Um, and it was obviously not, it was maybe a little bit rushed at the end, but, but this whole, it's like 90 days, right? It's 120 in the Constitution. Um, what do you think it, it needs? Because I, I, I'm, by, I, I think after watching this pretty close, I think legislators should be paid a lot more money, no per diem, and make it a full-time gig. Uh, because it just seems like right now the system's so weird. It's 50000 per diem, but it could be three months. It could be six months. You know, I, I guess, what are your thoughts about the current system? And Yeah, it's a $15,000 salary mm-hmm. plus per diem. So Pennsylvania has a year-round uh, professional legislature. Um, I, I think that would be um, a real question for the people of Alaska. Uh, and what would the salary be? Uh, what caliber of individual would you want? And what kind of salary would be required to draw that person? I think 150 Interestingly, that's probably about what you'd want. Because then you have a lot of people who could say, look, I, I can quit my yeah. job. And for, support and a family. Support a fa- and do this for... And yes. I would say the other thing would be no other jobs. Like, that's your job. Yes. You can't because, be doing other things. Yes. And, you know, because we've had these... Always comes up whether it's oil or labor, nonprofits, or somebody's got some something somewhere. Um, but you're right; you have to convince the public of this, and I think that would be tough. That'd be tripling the salary, right? Well, because if you include the per diem, that's true. It's yeah. I think what maybe if you take the whole per diem for 120 days, it's 30 grand or something. Yeah, probably. But see, that's still even more. But you're it's right; double, it's about doubling. It's a full time job. Uh, Now, the question you also have to ask is, okay, so then what about staff? Because a lot of legislators in the off time pretty much turn things over to Mm -hmm. their staff. So the staff continues to manage uh, constituent concerns and manage bills that might need to be written, things like that. So um, some legislatures have no staff. Well, a lot of the public probably doesn't know this. I mean, if they look at the the salary lists that come out sometimes, but the, a lot of the staff make more than the legislators. Oh, much Some more. of them make a lot more. A lot more. And, and there's some state, Congress has this in some states where you have staffers that, are, that staff the committee. Yes. And, and not, the, not the individual. So you have that retained knowledge. Some people argue, well, then they become so powerful. They have all this information. So there's pluses and minuses. But um, I, I don't know. I just, we're such a big state and there's always this rush to, you know, we have to go home and. Yeah. I don't know. I think full-time job would be high, higher salary would be the way, but that'd be tough to be a tough sell. Yeah. Yeah. And regardless of what the salary is, the idea of stepping out to run for office is a formidable barrier to begin with. Mm-hmm. The idea of putting your name out there and being subject to attacks. Well, especially now, look at now the social media and yes. and just how things move so fast. And um, I always joke with people, the reason I say we should pay more and make it a full-time job is because, you know, there's there's the opportunity cost of a lot of people of having another job or a family. And I always joke they have to deal with people like me, <laughs> which is not probably fun for some people who, who especially aren't used to being in the public eye. There's that. Yeah. Yeah. But it, just the idea of putting yourself out there and and being subject to the Facebook attacks and all the rest of it. All people have to do is look at what happened to me, John Coghill, Jennifer Johnston, Chuck Kopp. I mean, um, attacks on every aspect of a person's life. And 
Yeah, I mean, some of the stuff pretty off putting. Why would you want to do this yourself, right? Some some of the stuff I've people have shared with me messages and emails, and I mean, you've probably seen more than I have, but it's horrible. I mean, it's really, it's not. I don't agree with this vote, or I don't like your. It's like really nasty, personal. Yes. I mean, I'm reminded. I I always kind of bring up Sarah Rasmussen. I mean, she's the perfect example of she's young, she's a mother of two, married, has a job. It's really hard for her to be in the legislature, you know, just existing on her on her with her family and her job and her kids. And that's compounded by some of the attacks she's had recently. Yes. Um, which she's even shared some of them on, on, you know, social media. And it's just really the kind of, I mean, there's no amount of money almost is worth dealing with that kind of thing. Yeah. When, when you're trying to really go, you know, do public service. And do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. She's pretty clever. You see, you see what she did last time. She, so she's not in the min- minor- minority or the majority. Correct. But what she, what she did, um, the minority had 19 and the majority had 21. So if the, if the folks know, if, if you don't know, um, the legislative uniform rules kind of lists a chart of how many positions the minority gets based on their member, based on their numbers. So when it went from 19 to 18, when she quit the minority, but didn't go in the majority, they still lost a seat on finance. Oh, yes. And she negotiated that seat. That seat. That's how she got there. That's yeah. very clever. Yes, that was so a good idea. You'd have to really know the... That's the other thing is the rules. I mean, I've, I have the book and I read the stuff, but it's just, it's so much to know. That's where staff come in. Having good staff that actually um, have been around for a while, understand how the system works. Yeah, all that can be helpful too. You, you would, as Senate President, rely on the secretary, the Senate Secretary, a lot. Cause, oh my, yes. She knows so much. Oh. she knows everything about how much votes, how many votes you need, or what you can do here, or how you can do this, or not do that. She actually helped in the writing of the revision of Mason's Rules of Order. You know, that's the book that governs mm-hmm. the Rules of Order for the legislature, and and she's one of the people that edited the new version that came out. Yeah, she, she, her and Chris, she, the clerk, are very, very yes, remarkable they, people. If I ever have a question about some weird yes. vote threshold, or they always they always know it. They just know it, yes. Or they flip immediately to the page of the book. Mm-hmm. That, yes, they're very remarkable, excellent at their job. So, so last thing, what's it been like? You've you were what ten years? Ten in years. Legislature. Yes. This last session, I know you've been watching it and paying attention, but what's it been like being here and, and not being in Juno? you know, for the first time in 10 years? Well, seeing the seasons change, that's, you know, I haven't seen winter and spring in a long time. Um, But I've been busy. You know, I've been doing a lot of volunteer work. I volunteer at some school-based clinics and at a a foster care type organization. And um, so staying busy. Yeah, there's a lot more time probably on your hands. You'd be surprised that well, that t- isn't time, the case. <laughs> you want to, do, to, to do other things. Oh, yes, to do other yeah. things. Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes. And then the newsletter, which which does take a chunk of time. Um, if folks, can people subscribe to that? Or oh, of do, course. How do yeah. you, do you, can you sign up? So I was actually wanted to sign up. Is there a way to sign up or do you have to um, request it? How to, if, they just send me an email, um, kathy at org. Okay, so they can just it's, email you and say, add me to the, yes, to the yes. list. Yes, okay. yes. It's, it's .org at the end, not .com. Okay. So Giesel at Kathy at Giesel.org. Okay, I, I know a lot of people that read it, and uh, they, they like the information. Well, good. I enjoy doing it, and, um, you know, I know a lot of nuances. So especially on redistricting board, I've been trying to include that a lot. 
and then community meetings that are going mm. on. Like Natasha Bonimhoff is speaking this Friday to Commonwealth North on her idea for the permit mm-hmm. fund dividend. The, the so, Aurora Fund. The Aurora Fund. What a cool name. Heard about that. Yeah. So, um, and last week, uh, Representative Wool presented his idea, which was a small tax and a moderate dividend, I think he's calling it, which is actually a pretty interesting way to thread the needle. So. It's, it's uh, I, I talk about Andrew Halcrow gave, gave me this uh it's called Fiscal Policy Caucus book from 2000, 2001. Lisa Murkowski was on it. Same thing, right? Oh, same stuff. Same really? exact stuff. Interesting. I've, I've got the binder. Huh. And, and it's, it's, it's just definition of insanity because you have the permanent, you have three levers, permanent fund, spending, revenues, and nothing's changed. Nothing will change unless, you know, we have the rich uncle, quote unquote, that, you know, the price of oil goes up crazy and we get some big new, but that's revenue anyway. So. Well, one thing did change. Because remember, in 1999, we had a, a, a question on the ballot. The, the advisory vote, right? The advisory vote on doing the percent of market value. But there were also like about nine or ten other criteria in that vote. I mean, it was a very complex question on the ballot. But it was voted down like 80%. Yeah, it was, it was overwhelming. Overwhelming. So that has changed. The legislature, uh, it took us 16 years, right, to gather the courage to do percent of market value that was probably i'd say one of the bill walker legacies he was pushing for a lot of things yes and maybe i think too many things if you went back i bet you he might say let's just pick three yeah instead of a hundred he did have a lot but the pomv was probably the 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 big change the huge transformational change in our our, how we how we collect revenue yes yes he proposed at least four different forms of an income tax too um he was kind of throwing darts you know yeah yeah, well, if you don't like that one, how about this one? But, you know, he was trying to communicate with the legislature and trying to find that middle ground. I, I was, um, you know, listening to the first new fiscal policy group meeting, and I just was, I kept thinking, this is everything they were saying then, the first meeting, was everything Bill Walker was saying. Yes. Fascinating. It, it was identical. <laughs> there, there was no change. It was, it's just, yeah. it's, it's incredible. Well... Takes a while for these good ideas to take root. Um, one more thing, uh, we just talked about voting next year, and I've been talking about this, and nobody's really talking about it. Is the constitutional convention question that that by the Alaska Constitution has to be on the ballot every ten years, and this is never really. It's usually got about thirty-five percent. Yes, it's pretty low. Yes, no, but nobody, nobody that I could find has ever pushed for it. I think the governor. Dunleavy, and he hasn't filed yet. Nobody's filed yet except this libertarian guy, Billy Toyin. Yes, yes. He's a character. But I'm I'm convinced that's going to be his campaign. Yes. These these idiots in the legislature won't do anything, so let's have a constitutional convention, and that'll be – I'm not saying I agree with this because I think it's a – imagine opening the books on that one in this political climate. But, you know, dividend, constitutional convention. Judges, constitutional convention. Yes. You know, every yes. issue, I, I think that's going to be a big issue next year. I think there's going to be a whole campaign about getting the people to vote for a constitutional convention. And I looked it up, and if it happens, do you know how they choose delegates? Well, they would have to, the, the way the, it's written, they would choose it the same way it was done originally for that constitutional convention. I, well, but they, they, have to, they have to have the kind of the similar number, but it says they get elected. There's an election. Well, 
the opinions are that probably the legislature is going to have to make some more clear definition of mm-hmm. how people become delegates. I, I think in the con- I read it. It says it'll happen at the next general election unless the legislature provides for a special election. That's what the con- that's what it says. I mean, okay. I, maybe they could. Uh, what I've read in terms of an analysis. So I'm glad you brought this up. This has been, it was a subject in last week's newsletter and it's going to be a big piece of this week's newsletter too. A few people are talking about this. This is going to be a thing. I agree it's going to be a thing and I totally agree with you that the governor is going to be pushing for it. I mentioned earlier that I believe the governor would like to go to a direct democracy and eliminate this representative voting business that the legislature has a role in and you see how much he dislikes the judicial system. So I think he's wanting to go to a direct democracy, which ultimately creates a governor who is a monarch, right? Yeah, it's, it's a lot of... Lot, so lot. it's serious, but, but I agree. The analysis I've heard just uh, from some legal folks is that probably the legislature is going to have to define much more clearly, and the courts will certainly enter into how the delegates are chosen and just logistically how it occurs. But... Most constitutions are reviewed periodically, but typically it's 20-year periods. Yeah, we have 10. When our writers were were putting together our constitution in the mid-50s, they felt that our state was so new, that things would be evolving so much, that it should be reviewed and considered every 10 years. So I wish they'd gone 20, but... Here we are. I, I think if this does become a, an issue, yeah. my, my guess is, um, you know, probably the, the pro-choice folks, labor. I mean, a lot of people, the privacy clause, there's all kinds of th- the, the judicial folks who want to keep the judicial system the same. You're going to have a lot of people opposing it. But I think you're also going to have a lot of people. So, so it's going to be a whole, I think I think it's going to be a whole, my prediction is it's going to be like a side, a side election or, or, or almost like a, a kind of, kind of, um, What's, what's what am I trying to think when you're next to something? A parallel election to the governor. Yes, yes, I agree. And, and it's it's gonna everything's gonna come down to, well, vote for the constitutional convention so we can fix so we can fix that, and that's going to be I think a large um, issue next time. Yeah, I, I am concerned about it also. It'll be, it'll be great for me. Yeah. <laughs> great for my business. Job security. Somebody can buy an ad. Yes, uh, that's right. That's right. Well, Senator Giesel, it's um, gone a little bit over half an hour, but it's been a great conversation. And yeah, thanks, Jeff. Um, gl- glad you spent the time um, chatting Happy with me. To and, do it. and if folks want to do the newsletter again, it's Kathy at Giesel.org. Correct. And they, and they can subscribe. Sure. Okay. Well, well, thanks again and enjoy the summer, what we have left of it. Yes. Thanks, Jeff. Okay. Folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Landline.